0: Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax-Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From
1: HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax-Efficient Investor.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today is the co founder of Wealth Channel, Andy Hagans. Andy, thanks for being with us.
1: Happy to be here. Really excited to cover today's topic.
0: So, Andy, for these first few episodes, I asked you to come on and ask me questions about the tax topics that you think high net worth investors would be most interested in. Today, we're going to be covering a topic that you actually know quite a bit about as the host of the Alternative Investment podcast. You deal with real estate and with private investments in real estate. Quite a bit, so you're going to ask some questions, you're going to chime in, and we're going to hopefully enlighten the audience on the tax advantages of real estate.
1: Absolutely, and, and to your point, yeah, the alternative investment podcast. Quick plug, we're in, we've had over 150 episodes covering all kinds of alternative investments, but probably fully half of the episodes have been about real estate, private real estate investments. So, and I actually want to start there because I know what we're talking about today private equity real estate funds so these are private investment funds that invest in real estate and i think when people think about real estate hopefully they immediately think about tax advantaged investments because it's honestly no matter how you invest in real estate whether it's with a publicly traded reit or with direct ownership of you know owning a duplex or directly owning an apartment building or any kind of asset or investing as a limited partner in some kind of passive private fund, which is what we're talking about today. There are tax advantages to all of those strategies, but the tax advantages are different depending on the strategy you're using, right, Michael?
0: That's right, Andy. So real estate is a huge area that we could talk about probably all day long, probably all week long. We could do probably a hundred episodes, Andy, just on the tax advantages of investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. Which is which is great. It means there's a lot of opportunity here, but there's a, a lot of different flavors of that, as you mentioned, whether you're doing direct ownership, you're owning a, a publicly traded real estate security. But we're going to focus on passive investments in private real estate vehicles today, which is kind of a, a great way of how a lot of people get started investing in real estate before they do it actively. They invest in a syndication or in a fund as a, a passive or a limited partner in a real estate deal or a real estate fund.
1: Yeah, and so you know, I do think this type of investment it's applicable to a lot of people because it's passive, right? It doesn't require you to be an expert in real estate. It doesn't require that you deal with the famous three T's: uh, toilets, tenants, and trash, which you know is could be a headache with direct ownership. But most private real estate funds, private equity real estate funds, require that investors be accredited investors, which means they're earning either two hundred thousand dollars a year themselves or 300,000 a year jointly with a spouse, or they have a net worth of a million dollars, excluding their primary residence. So that's really when we talk about who can invest in private equity real estate funds, you do need to check if you're an accredited investor, whether you can invest in these sorts of funds. Um, But that being said, you know there are different types of private equity real estate funds, right? You have DSTs, Delaware Statutory Trusts, you have just kind of plain vanilla I guess private offerings you have private REITs you have qualified opportunity funds we're not going to go down you know we're not going to get into the weeds too much with any of like the very specific subsets of this vehicle we want to talk broadly what are the principles that are going to apply with any type of private equity real estate fund and then some types will have additional tax advantages but but what are those kind of universal Uh, What are the biggest tax advantages that universally apply to private equity real estate funds, Michael?
0: It's a great way to frame it, Andy. And I would say anyone listening can think of this. We're going to talk through three of the most common, the biggest tax advantages. I would say, think of it this way. We're going to talk through them so that you are then equipped, if you're thinking about making an investment, ask intelligent questions and understand, Okay. okay, how do these three advantages that I heard Michael and Andy talk about confirm that they're present in this deal, understand if they are, understand what any of the limitations are and make sure that you're positioned to take advantage of them. So let's go through the three that I think, the big three I call Mandy, for for any investment in in real estate. Number one is depreciation. Number two is the potential for a tax-free refinancing, a cash-out refi. Uh, And then number three is on the exit, the potential to defer potentially forever any gains that you have on the sale. So I think let's just tackle them in that, in that order, Andy. Let's start with depreciation, probably the hairiest one. Uh, let's Let's knock this one off first. So essentially, when you invest in real estate, you can depreciate the asset that you purchase. And there's a whole bunch of rules around depreciation, but this is a non-cash expense. So there's not any cash going out the door, but it's an expense that shows up on the tax return and on the income statement. Essentially, this is saying the assets you purchase have a limited lifespan. They don't last forever. So you gradually depreciate them over time. So the uh, upshot is that creates a paper loss that can be passed through if your investment is structured as an LLC. That depreciation loss gets passed through to all of the passive investors. So let's say you own 10% of a deal. There's a depreciation amount that's written off each year. A portion of that comes through to you. And you can use that depreciation that passes through, offset some of your income. So a couple of notes here, Andy, if you've got a good general partner, someone who's really savvy, that's running the deal, they're going to try to front load as much of that depreciation as possible. So there's a few ways that that you can do that. There's something called a cost segregation study, where you basically try to get Uh, Most real property is depreciated over 27 and a half years, Andy, which is a long time. It means you're only taking about 4%, 3% to 4% of it uh, each year. You can do a cost segregation study and get some of it into shorter buckets, into 5 or 7 or 15-year buckets. There's also something called bonus depreciation that you can take advantage of. It's really complicated. The upshot is this. You can really front load that depreciation if the general partner in your deal, in your real estate deal knows what they're doing, have all their ducks in a row. You can potentially get a really big depreciation expense in year number one.
1: Yeah, and so that, to your point, this is not something that just uh, happens, I guess. It needs to be, I don't want to say engineered, but it, but it needs to be engineered or identified by the general partner, the the fund manager, and 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 they can legally... You know, analyze what's going on and and figure out how to do the accounting or even maybe affecting some of the decisions they're making on the actual asset itself.
0: I would say they're able to optimize it, Andy. They're able to push as push as much of that depreciation into years one and years two because you know, there's a time value of money. And for investors, there's value to having this sounds strange, but there's value to having these losses, right? Because they're paper losses. So you're not actually losing any money paper losses are fantastic because you can use them to offset income. And that's worth diving into just just briefly here, Andy, when you talk about offsetting income. So the general principle here from the IRS is that you can use passive losses to offset passive gains, and you can use active losses to offset active income or active gains. So that's... That's a little bit of a rub for passive investors in a private real estate deal. You can only use this depreciation to offset other passive income that you have. So in other words, you can't use it to offset the income you have from your job. Uh, You've gotta use it for for other passive income. So it can certainly offset the income that this investment generates. Say this real estate property is generating profits, it's generating rent from the tenants. Uh, The depreciation can offset that offset passive income from other investments that you have but you're generally not going to be able to use it to offset active uh, active income or your, your primary sources of income so a little bit of a rub there the good news is uh, if you don't have enough passive income to offset you've got a bunch of depreciation you just carry it forward so down the road when this property does have a lot more income and a lot more profits being passed through to you you've built up this big Bank of depreciation expense, you can use it. Then you're getting distributions from the real estate investment, but you're not having to pay taxes because on paper you've got these big losses that you can use.
1: Yeah, and, and I know we're not finished with depreciation, but that's another theme is that that some of these funds they will be able to pay you dividends, or especially on like a, a ref, refinance that you may not you may owe no taxes on or or very little taxes on that cash distribution. Um, it, but, but to your point, this depreciation is worth more if you have passive income, right? If, so if you have mutual funds or other investments or other businesses or other private funds where you're an LP, if you have other forms of passive income, I think the value of this depreciation, it's, it's more valuable to you. But to your point, even if you don't, it's going to be valuable sooner or later. Is there anything else we want to cover on depreciation, Michael? Anything else that investors need to know?
0: No, I think that's I think that's about it, Andy. We've hit. I mean, we could talk about depreciation uh, all day, but I think we've given them <laughs> given them the high points. That if you're a passive investor, you're going to be offsetting passive income, uh, which is you know, not as good as it could be, but it's it's still pretty great, especially because you're able to carry those losses forward. So let's let's talk about the second potential advantage here, which is the possibility of getting some tax redistributions in the interim. So. A lot of times how this happens is there is a a refinancing. So the the property goes up and you invest in the property initially, the the manager does some improvements, or maybe you're doing a ground up construction deal where you're building a, a new property. And then a few years down the road, it's all of a sudden worth more. You can take out either initially take out debt on it or take out some more debt on it. And in a lot of cases, Andy, and the devil's in the details here. So again, this is something that's a potential tax advantage. You'll want to understand as part of your diligence if you're thinking about a real estate deal. But a lot of times this refinancing, pay down the old debt, and then there'll be some cash left over, and that can be distributed to the investors. And that can be treated as return of instead of return on capital. Mm -hmm. And that one letter, return of versus return on, makes a big difference because that distribution, in a lot of cases, can be tax-free. So like think of this, Andy, like you invest in Apple stock. And then a few years down the road, Apple sends you a bunch of money back and says, oh, this is tax-free. It's a return of your capital, right? Like that doesn't happen uh, when you're investing in in Apple. The the dividends are are return on capital, uh, return on investment. Uh, But it does happen in real estate, uh, and that's
1: pretty clearly a a nice tax advantage. And this isn't entirely universal, but it's very, very common for any type of fund to be targeting a refi like in year three or year four, like especially with uh, value add you know, the idea is that that the the GP, the sponsor will be borrowing money with a higher interest rate, you know, because it's a little bit riskier. But once they do what they said they're going to do, you know, maybe improving the asset, and then leasing it up to where it's fully leased, uh, then they can, you know, take that to the bank and say, hey, look, we have a very stable asset now that's uh, fully stabilized, generating income, et cetera, et cetera, and they're able to lock in that, you know, get refinanced, have a lower interest rate. Right. Um, and that's a big gain. And the same thing with ground up construction, you know it's it's a little bit different than value add. You're not buying an existing asset, but from a bank's point of view, it's, it's very risky, right? You know, because it could be delayed. you might have construction delays or maybe you build it and nobody comes, right? Maybe you build an apartment building in the middle of nowhere, nobody wants to, whatever the case may be, it's perceived as riskier. But once you build the asset, once it is leased, then then the risk goes way down and you can do that refi. So not quite universal, but very, very common with all types of funds, with all types of different strategies to plan for this refi. It's usually, Michael, is, is that right? That's usually in year three, year four, maybe year five?
0: Yeah, that's right. That that's about the right timeline, Andy. And you're right that it's uh, the scenario you laid out where the typically happens once the risk has been reduced. So they've done the value adds they said they were going to do, and there's no longer uncertainty about whether that's actually going to add value. Or they've done the construction they said they were going to were going to do constructions. There's a lot of risk associated with construction. So once that's done, the deal is is uh, the asset is not nearly as risky as it was initially. You can get lower interest rates. You can take out uh, a bigger loan because you're going to have a, a lower interest rate and still have the same interest rate burden, and then you have some money left over to to pass on to the the LPs, the passive investors in the deal. So, you know, to go back to our framework, Andy, of kind of understanding what the potential tax advantages are, if you're looking at a real estate investment, you're thinking about being a passive investor in a real estate deal. Ask as part of your diligence, you know, what are the plans for a, a refinancing and what are your expectations about how that refinancing will be distributed and what the tax consequences of that will be. And you should get a pretty straightforward answer about you know, nothing's guaranteed, but what you can expect, or at least what the what the general partner's plan is for that
1: distribution. Right. Yeah. And, and if I'm the limited partner there, I'm probably not like a hundred percent banking on that, you know, refi, that payment, that distribution at a specific point in time, but I'm certainly hoping for it. I'm certainly, you know, kind yep. of penciling it in i should say okay so we've covered depreciation we've covered this cash out refi you know it's kind of a lump sum payment you might get in year 3 4 or 5 that's tax free let's talk about the third tax advantage of most you know private equity real estate funds
0: yeah so this this happens when you sell the property so hopefully if everything goes well you invest in a real estate deal two years down the road, five, seven, 10 years down the road, your property is sold and there's a big gain, which is great. Now, the downside of a big gain is capital gains taxes. Right. You're going to get through, pass through as a, a passive investor in, in this, assuming it's structured as an LLC where everything is passed through to the investors. You're going to get hit with your pro rata portion of that gain and you're going to have to pay taxes on it. Unless you take advantage of some, items that are specific to real estate, there are ways to essentially roll your gain into a similar like-kind property. There's something called a 1031 exchange, which is basically taking your proceeds from the sale of real estate, and you roll them into a similar property. And if you do that, you don't get hit with the capital gains tax. There's another way to do this, Andy, called a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust. It's basically another way to take advantage of or the 1031 exchange named after the the section of the tax code where this language is found. So we're getting, I'm getting a little bogged down in the details here, but the upshot is this. Let's again compare it to, to Apple stock. You invest in Apple stock, it goes way up, you sell it, you've got to gain and you've got to pay taxes on it, which is a bummer. Um, but with the real estate deal, you can roll those proceeds into another real estate asset and you defer paying those capital gains. You kick that down the road. And a lot of people uh, can do that if you do it until you die, which you know hopefully is a long ways down the road, Andy. You then get a step up in basis to the fair market value and you can essentially never pay taxes on those gains. So this is really applicable if you're thinking about your real estate investment for future generations mm-hmm. um, as a way to uh, keep more skin in the game, keep more money in that investment, keep that money working in the interim. And really kick those taxes uh, down the road
1: defer defer and defer some more uh, we like to say a swap until you drop you know one note you you mentioned the like kind exchange right where you're exchanging into a similar kind of asset that really just means real estate for real estate right it, like you could be right. selling uh, a multifamily building and then a complete a 1031 exchange into an industrial real estate Delaware statutory trust or an industrial asset, you know, through direct ownership. So it's it's really applicable to all types of commercial real estate investment, real estate assets. And I have to say the 1031, and it's one of those topics. Uh, I mean, it's your show, Michael, but I have to say it's a, it's such a huge... You know, thing it's it's a, a an 800 pound gorilla in the world of real estate investing. I'm I'm hoping you'll do a future show on just the 1031. Um, but but I think you know it's it's kind of if if I'm looking if I'm thinking about private equity real estate, it's almost the last thing I have to worry about, right? Like the first thing I'm going to enjoy is the depreciation, and then the next thing I'll enjoy maybe will be a cash out refi. I can kind of worry about, well, what, what was that 1031 exchange thing? How do I do that? That's kind of the last thing I need to worry about because most of these types of funds, private equity, real estate funds, they tend to have that five or seven, or in the case of qualified opportunity funds, even a 10-year hold where these are illiquid and you're not necessarily you know, switching in and out of investments every 12 or 24 months, right?
0: yeah that's right andy there's there's typically a longer longer hold period you've got some time to think about this and again going back to our framework of of doing diligence on a potential real estate investment ask the gp in the fund if if they're plan if they're in the habit of doing 1031 exchanges you know as you mentioned we'll definitely do a future episode andy cuz there's a lot that we could talk about about 1031s including you know some of the where they can go off the rails um you got to do things in the right order um but it's a good question to ask the GP, you know, is there going to be an option? Are you going to facilitate a 1031 if I want to come along with you into the, the next deal that you're doing and roll the proceeds into that? That'll make your life easier uh, if they, if the answer to that is yes. And if they do plan to, to 1031. Uh, now, again, it's down the road. The the downside of having a three, five, seven, 10-year uh, time period, a lot can happen in the interim. But good question to ask if it's something that they're in the habit of doing. Uh, and if, if they'll make your life easier by facilitating
1: a 1031. Absolutely. My Michael, I have to tell you, uh, I have to give you my compliments rather, because private equity real estate funds, they can get pretty complicated. There's a lot of different flavors and, you know, different subtypes that each have their own, you know, different different wrinkles or tax advantages that are specific to those subtypes. But I think you've done a fantastic job of covering kind of the big picture. What are the big tax advantages that passive real estate investors can look forward to and then as to these other you know kind of subtopics like the 1031 exchange or some of these other vehicles that we've mentioned like dsts you know maybe those are just fodder for future episodes but but i really appreciate i I think you've done a great job just sort of simplifying everything even for me
0: yeah well well thank you andy i appreciate that that's certainly the goal of the show a tax code is is complicated it's it's pretty overwhelming it's getting longer and more complicated every year and i think as a result of that a lot of people miss out on some pretty low hanging fruit things they should be doing things they easily could be doing if we're just demystified and simplified and and boiled down a little bit for them so hopefully that's the goal of the show we're going to give people some actionable advice we're going to uh, create some wealth for them in in the meantime and we'll certainly be diving a lot into real estate because uh, there's a lot of meat left on that bone, Andy. We kind of covered it at a, a pretty high level. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there today. That's about all the time we've got. We're going to be talking a lot more about real estate. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it for you to subscribe. Leave us a review or a rating on Apple or Spotify. It helps a ton. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. And
1: Andy, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Michael. I had fun.
0: That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other
1: investors.
0: And we'll be back soon with another episode.